Hello, lovelies. Welcome to the Fat Joy Podcast, where we talk each week about how to flourish in an anti-fat world. I'm Sophia Apostle, a fat person and professional coach who loves talking to other fat people about what it's like to live within oppressive systems that marginalize our bodies and how we still dare to have the audacity and courage to reach towards our collective liberation and embrace our joy. Please know this is an adult content podcast, so there will be swears. We will be talking about harms we've experienced, and we will be rebelling against diet culture, anti-fatness, ableism, racism, etc. If you'd like to support the Fat Joy podcast, please check us out at patreon.com slash fatjoy. Oh, and I'm so glad you're here with us. Enjoy. Hello, everyone. Welcome back. I have Dr. Carrie Fullerton with us today, and I'm so excited. We were just chatting right before hitting the record button, and we're like, oh, we need to hit the record button because all the things we're talking about, we think everyone's going to want to hear about. So, Carrie, welcome. It's been a number of years since I've seen you. It has been. Yeah. Yeah. We met at a storytelling event that I was um, co-hosting with another friend and I got to hear about your story. And I was like, oh, that is someone that I am going to keep an eye on. (laughs) There was so much that you said that really resonated for me. And I'm so honored that you agreed to come on and chat. Oh, thanks for asking. Yeah. (laughs) So Carrie, why don't you start by telling us a little bit about you? Me. Yeah. So I, I'm a naturopathic doctor registered in Ontario and I landed here a little bit by accident (laughs) and, um, I got introduced to the like non-diet world actually when I was in school, I went to the library, uh, no, it was actually chapters, I think, looking for a book because I thought if I was going to be a naturopath, I had to look a certain way. So of course this looking for another quick fix. And um, because I was a poor student, I landed in the uh, the bargain section and there was a book called It's Not About Food. And it was just like, it was like they were in my mind and they they knew some of my thoughts and my struggles and, and some of my challenges. And so uh, best two bucks I ever spent, that's for sure. Um, but that was in 2000. So that was like, we didn't have social media, internet, wasn't really more than academic there was maybe some message boards or whatever so uh, yeah it was it was kind of a lonely thing so I, I straddled the world of diet culture while I was in naturopathic school sadly learning a lot of diet culture and um, trying to make peace with my own body and my own food so that was that was the space for quite a while and then um, after I had my son in 2008 uh, I had a relapse of my eating disorder and I went to Overeaters Anonymous because clearly I was a food addict that was the problem (laughs) Um, hung out there for a year and a half and then was like oh right that's just another diet (laughs) Um, and then that's when I landed I think Janine Roth might have been my first introduction and and very quickly landed with the intuitive eating and went yeah these are my people um because it was very much it 
it appeased my doctor had and that there was studies to show that it was health promoting. Um, I, you know, healthism is a thing that I don't want to participate in, but I am a doctor. So people come to me about their health. So naturally I talk more about health. Um, but just want to remind everyone it's not an obligation. <laughs> it's all good if you're not interested in your health. Um, anyway, so yeah, I got certified. It took me a while because I learned I had to heal my own relationship with food before I could help others. And um, yeah, I guess it was probably around 2014, 2015 when I really started to own the the space of, no, I'm not going to help you with weight loss. And I don't think that's ethical and we're just not going there. Uh, and then in 2018, I got certified as an intuitive eating uh, counselor and moved out of my group practice and went out into my own space where I could manage more of the environment, um, both online and in office. I mean, my coworkers were fantastic and they're naturopaths. So <laughs> there was stuff that was really triggering for my patient population. So I moved out on my own and now I'm still 100% virtual. Um, after during COVID, I let go of my physical space and I just haven't picked one up again and I'm not sure if I'm going to yeah yeah wow oh that's such a journey that's beautiful no I heard so much in there I love that it started with this two dollar bargain book while you were looking for diet books you found the anti-diet book I mean and when you said you were reading it it was like they were in your head it was Thoughts about body, thoughts about food, thoughts about fatness. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. The, you know, the consequences of restriction that I didn't, I didn't know wasn't my fault. Right. Like, cause binging, that's a huge thing. Yeah. Oh, huge. Yeah, yeah. Right. Yeah. I had been a secret eater and a binger my whole life that I could remember. And this was the first time that someone said, oh yeah, that's happening because you're restricting. I was like, wait, what? <laughs> Which seems the opposite. I also have binge eating disorder. And when I read my book version of the aha moment was Christopher Fairburn's book, which was um, how to overcome, I think it was called how to overcome binge eating. So I didn't even know that there was something like I knew there was something wrong. I'm going to use this word in quotes wrong with me. Um, I'd been sneaking food my whole life, stole money out of my mom's wallet to buy food, snuck snacks out of like my, and like from grade two out of other kids' lunch boxes while they were out at recess, like really, really, but didn't, but just felt like I had to, like there was no thought. It was just compulsive behavior. And um, that book, that aha moment of, oh, hang on, I'm not broken I'm not any of the other horrible things that I would say about myself yeah 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 wow amazing the part that was missing from that book that was in the intuitive eating was the process I guess or the steps right like so it was it was a great book um and it introduced me to stuff but I didn't understand the depth of what restriction was doing and so I knew I wasn't having food rules anymore, but I still didn't nourish myself regularly mm -hmm. at consistent intervals. So I would get to dinner absolutely starving and be like, well, there's no food rules, so I'll eat cookies for dinner. And then I would feel 
awful because even now, like I include cookies with dinner, but as a meal, they're not very satisfying. Yeah. You have to eat a lot of them, right? <laughs> and then that doesn't feel good. So I still was left with this sense that um, I couldn't be trusted with certain foods. So it it didn't build the trust the way I find intuitive eating can. Yeah, it's so true. Well, and that's that's I think some of the problem. Well, like I I when I found the Christopher Fairburn book, I had no idea of the concept of diet culture at that point, and there wasn't any bigger context other than you have this thing; it has a name. You're not wrong. Go get help. <laughs> so it served that first step, but I the other big aha was exactly what you said: realizing, oh, hang on, there's a whole system set in place to make me do this and wrong and it's not my own choice and everyone around me has bought into it like it was it's been very you know that Wizard of Oz moment you like you pull back the curtain and you realize what is going on here yeah so I'm super curious because you've mentioned you've talked about your body I want to know what your relationship to the word fat is like how what's been your journey with that word i find that's such a triggering word <laughs> <laughs> i mean let me start by like i still experience an awful lot of thin privilege so i'm like i don't know are we allowed to mention sizes yeah you can say sizes not weights yeah so i'm a i'm a size 16 so i am like the epitome of like the most seen body out in the actual world in North America, that would be me. Uh, so, you know, I still fit in lots of different things. I can generally go into stores and find something that will fit. They're not as stylish as a plus size. Like I shop at plus size stores because they look better. Yes. <laughs> um, but um, so I'll start with that. And I didn't grow up fat. Um, I was, I was small bodied, um, but I had a double chin. I had thighs that touched um, at every weight of my entire life. When I was a baby, I had three or four chins. <laughs> so um, I didn't look like the models. I didn't look like the TV stars. I didn't look like lots of my friends. And I grew up in a dieting household. My mother was always disparaging to her own body. Uh, my grandmother, Granny's still alive. She's 92 and she still weighs herself every morning. So um, it's it very much, it was, a, it was a cultural, I didn't like how I felt. And so I was trying to change my body to make that work. So I like to say, you know, I dieted myself into plus sizes. Um, maybe I would have landed in plus sizes anyways, but I... I firmly believe it was the dieting process that landed me, um, which is fine. Um, so fat for me now is not a bad word. It certainly was then, um, but I'm definitely one of those that has reclaimed the word. Um, in our home, it's a descriptor. It's not, um, you know, I, one of the stories I like to tell my son, I don't remember what grade he was in, maybe grade six or seven, and they were doing health class and they were talking about you know, why you have to eat healthfully. And you mm -hmm. know, one of the reasons is so that you don't get fat. And yeah. And one of, and then they were like, and, and I don't know, I guess they were sharing. And one of the girls said, well, you know, cause fat people can't exercise. And my son was like, that's not true. 
<laughs> and she said, they can't. And he stood up. He said, my mom's fat and she exercises every day. Oh, <laughs> so proud of him. <laughs> because for him, you know, like fat isn't the fact that I am the fattest of the family is not it doesn't mean anything other than that I happen to have the most fat on my body. Um, and so, yeah, I'm, I'm proud that in our home, it isn't that. And we talk about the cultural meaning of the word fat. And so. <laughs> oh, I love that you're changing the, the legacy, you know, you're changing what you pass down. Although it's really hard. I mean, my stepson last year, he was grade five. He had this, Oh, it infuriated me. They had this, um, uh, what's it called, uh, assignment where they had to take a quote unhealthy food and make it healthy. So he and his friends picked poutine and then made it healthy by changing the way they did the fries, not putting cheese, putting broccoli, like all these things. And he, it was so hard because we also have a lot of conversations about you know, basically trying to unbrainwash the kids around from diet culture. But it's so hard when they're so excited by the assignment and like, look, and we did it by putting in broccoli and we took out the cheese and look, it's like healthy. And I'm sitting there like, did do they I eat it? No, I think it was hypothetical. I don't even think they oh, actually did it. I know. That's a, you got to well, eat that. <laughs> right? Well, they counted the calories and the sugars. They did all of that bullshit. I just... Gross. It was so gross. And uh, I just find I end up contradicting a lot of his teachers. And I'm like, well, she said that. But actually, and a lot of his mom's family, quite frankly, you know, this and the stuff that he gets unsocial because holy smokes tiktok and all those are filled with diet culture so i i'm curious i'd love to just um ask a little more about because i think this is something that a lot of people struggle with is your you've done the work you're obviously wanting to shield your kids from diet culture and the harms that it causes you talk about it you make the word neutral but how like they're just onslaughted i don't know if that's a word i just made it up but it's constant i'm following yeah <laughs> anything like anything else that you do especially with kids so we like we talk about that so i contradict all the time right so he was rhyming off some t some statistics and i'm like well did they tell you the statistic you know that 95 percent of people are not going to successfully negotiate a, a long-term weight loss did they including weight loss medications and surgeries by the way like we're not just talking about anyways uh did they tell you about you know one in three people will develop disordered eating because they decided to risk or do they tell you and i'm just like <laughs> he's like he laughs he's like i love it when you get salty mom <laughs> standing in the kitchen just rhyming off statistics um i mean i I have an advantage in that this is what I do for a living, right? I spend an awful lot of time reading and learning some of these stats. Um, but I do, like, I sent some stuff to his teacher. And Good. I, oh, yeah. Um, I've just, it, like, he had to track what he was eating. Oh, my um, God. And I, so I handed him 
I, I have a handout that I share with my, my patients of like learning your hunger and fullness and satisfaction. And I'm like, well, if you're going to monitor that, you're going to monitor this too. So like how hungry were you? How full were you? How satisfying? And, like that assignment that your stepson was given, I don't like, if it tasted good, cool. Like, you know, um, but that sounds disgusting well and for me it was that they made some food good and some food bad well 100 percent. like there are so many levels um but like if you want to experiment with food and try something have at her yeah um but to teach children that without teaching them the the social part of food the importance of enjoying your food the importance of sharing your food with people the like all of that stuff yeah um I remember Pat, we took him to get tested for ADHD, I think at the end of grade four. And we've always sort of suspected it. It runs on both sides of our family. And so we just were like, he was like, do I need to get tested? I'm like, well, you need the diagnosis to get the help. So let's do that. Anyways, we were sitting, driving home and he said, mom, what's junk food? And I like proud mommy moment. I'm like, you don't know what that means. That's awesome. And, um, so that we just talked about stuff and then he came home from school sometime in that grade five year and asked like, is chocolate unhealthy? Mm. And I said, well, like, how do you feel when you eat chocolate? Cause he loves chocolate. Mm. <laughs> he's like, I love it. It makes me happy. And I'm like, great. And what happens when you eat too much of it? And he's like, well, first you get that feeling in your mouth. And then, and I'm like, okay, so what do you think? He's like, so some is probably really healthy and too much is maybe not. And I'm like, yeah. And that changes day by day. Right. He's like, yeah. And then when he was younger, he had a lot of issues with um, digesting dairy and wheat and a couple of other eggs, like things like that. And um, so he, he was making a, a healthy plate again as an assignment at school and, and there was cheese. <laughs> I, we were at the like open house or whatever and so his teacher was there and I said Pat why did you put cheese on your plate and he said well because it's one of the food groups and it's healthy I said is it though what happens when you eat cheese and so he rhymed off all of the digestive things that happen when he eats cheese and like so why did you put cheese on your plate again and the teacher was just looking at me <laughs> there was no word said but I was just like there is so much more nuance to these conversations. And if you're not willing to have those, then don't have the conversation at all. Is my feeling, right? Like no food is inherently healthy or unhealthy. It depends on you. It depends on the day. It depends on like on so many things, right? So yeah, but I just have the conversations with him. I ask him questions and sometimes it annoys him. And now that he's getting older, I have to ask if I'm allowed to ask questions. Mm, yes. <laughs> I have to get consent. <laughs> <laughs> Whether allowed, I'm, I'm allowed to tee off or not. <laughs> that is so wonderful. Wow. Well, and do you have, are some of your patients kids? Do you work with kids also? I don't work with a lot of kids. I've had a few of them, but I find quite honestly, the best way to help your children is to help yourself. So, yeah. so you know, me working through my food and body image stuff has been 
the biggest influencer on him. So like when he climbed on my belly when he was in kindergarten, I think, might have been grade one. And he said, do you want to know why you're so fat? And I was like, enlighten me, child. (laughs) Don't get me wrong. My knee jerk was like, oh, Um, because I still had some strong associations with the word. And then he just started to tell me about polar bears and why they have a layer of fat and what he'd learned at school. But I, I know that had that been five years earlier, like I would have, I would have been furious and I don't know that I would have been able to contain myself. (laughs) And then he would have felt that energy shift. And then it just, it really just goes from there. I'm curious, how did you, if you, if again, if you're open to chatting about it, I'm so curious, this idea of you had to heal your own relationship with food before you could really fully show up for clients. Like, what was that process like for you? What did that entail? Well, when I, um, I read the intuitive eating book and was like, yep, this is, this is the thing that I want to work with. Um, and then I, I learned fairly quickly through trying to practice it on my own that my relationship with food was pretty messed up. Um, and I've always taken that, like, I mean, there's that thing like physician heal thyself, right. Of just, I don't know, in counseling and in coaching, like we tell people like you can only take your people as far as you've gone. You can't take them past that. Right. Cause you just don't have the experience. Um, so I started working with a counselor. I had, seen many, many counselors before, but I I specifically sought one out because I had a very bad experience um, right before I went to OA (laughs) uh, with the counselor I was seeing at the time. um, And was, I I mean, I'm sure you know this uh, from one binger to another. We're not talking about I ate a row of cookies or a bag of cookies. It's a massive amount of food. And um, so you kind of throw out little lines to see how they respond to a a certain amount of food and then you kind of you know you like kind of work because it's uh, it is such an awful feeling to see someone's face contort oh and judgment judgment and disgust yeah yeah no uh, so that only ever happens once before you realize you don't say certain things right (laughs) so um I had said something about my uh, my concern about my weight, or and I guess at that point I already knew that I couldn't diet anymore. But I again I was in that straddling of the both worlds stage of things, and um, and she said, "Well, just don't eat those foods until you lose the weight that you want." Oh my god. This was an eating disorder specialist? No, this was not. That is why I never went to another counselor who didn't understand it ever again so I I left her I went to OA um what was that like actually I've, I've never actually talked to someone who's gone to OA oh, Anonymous. Sophia, I could talk to you for six hours <laughs> it's uh, it's seriously fucked up am I allowed to say that on your podcast it's it's seriously it's awful um yeah I, the whole premise is that you have no control and that all you have to do is you develop what your version of abstinence is going to be. So what foods? So I picked because that's what I figured mine was. Um, and then you create like 
a plan of eating and you commit to whatever it is and then you have a sponsor and all the stuff and your meetings are basically like i have no control around food that's you know step one i have no control um and that i mean that should have been the very first like red flag um as soon as something's taking power away from you it's anyways um yeah, so it's a lot of people with sometimes overeating disorders and sometimes disordered eating meeting together. And of course, it's not, there's no professionals. It's a, it's a peer support, right? So um, the very last sponsor that I had, um, had I started with her, I might have a different story about OA because mm-hmm. her only question to me was, how peaceful are you with your food? That was it. And that is a very different question. Yes. You know, are you sure that you should be eating nachos? Why are chips not on your list? I'm like, because I don't binge on chips. I understand. I'm listening to people talking about, anyways, it was very, it was very disordered. Um, It was, yeah, I never, so there was a couple things while I was in the program that started to tweak. And one of them was Pat was sitting with me and he was trying to share I don't know, cracker. I don't know what he was eating, but he was trying to share it with me. And I couldn't share that food and maintain my abstinence. And I was like, well, that doesn't feel right. Um, And then the second thing was I was at a meeting and I was just listening to all the stories and the part they have like the speaker of the whatever this guest speaker was there and she was talking about how she was like cheating on her own food plan by getting a bigger plate or whatever and I was like oh um and then you know people sharing their stories and like this doesn't feel like freedom to me like people's lists of foods that they were abstaining from got larger not smaller and again from an addiction model perspective like if it's a true addiction addiction then there should be an ingredient or a substance that causes the thing right but it was different for every person it got bigger and so I was like oh right so this isn't this isn't a chemical addiction like we're looking at like cocaine or uh, even alcohol we're looking at a more of a behavioral addiction like gambling or sex maybe or you know it's sort of in that kind of category which again there's 12-step programs for that for lots of people that works quite well but food is part of our lives multiple times every single day um and to yeah to just watch people's world around food get smaller and smaller uh, i was just like no this can't happen um so yeah when i left that i was like all right it was just another diet yeah oh my gosh um yeah so then and then that was the very last diet i ever did um yeah found all the weight that i lost uh grabbed a few extra pounds for the journey and have sort of just stayed there since uh which i wear i wear holes in my clothes now (laughs) yes it's so cool check it out. I have to buy a new jeans because there's a hole in them because I've worn them so long. Right. Okay. A lot of people who haven't weight cycled won't understand the significance of that. So what does that mean that you actually have holes in your clothes? Well, I never wore a size long enough to be able to wear through clothes. I had, I had, I, 
literally had you know, those big Tupperware, rubber Tupperwares that you use for storage and moving. I think I had eight or nine of them from size 12 to 24. Aspirational clothing, clothing for when my weight changed. And I remember, oh my God, yes, bought for me by, you know, people in my life. Um, and uh, yeah, and I remember the day, oh, it was probably five years ago where I realized, because I, I was thinking I was going to be moving again. I was going to be, yeah, I was going to be moving. And I was looking at these eight huge boxes filled with clothes. And I thought, you know what? Why am I, why do I, and I've dragged them around for probably like 10 different moves because I, I actually moved a lot for a while. Um, why would I do this again? So I literally laid them all out and they were beautiful clothing. Be I love clothes. So beautiful clothes. And I had a whole bunch of friends over and I was like, literally shop my aspirational clothing, take whatever you want. And now it's so fun because I'll see someone wearing a dress of mine or like a zip up hoodie, like a Lulu or whatever it is. And it's just, it was such a big moment of release. And yeah, like you now, I wear through clothes because my weight is actually stable for the first time ever, which is, I mean, you stop dieting, your weight gets stable. I mean, it's just, we've got it so wrong I in know. general I know. Oh, yes. I know. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's a really cool thing. We were, um, building a gazebo deck pergola. I don't know what it's called. It's like a pergola with a roof. So it's kind of a gazebo anyways on our deck. And, um, I, I was like, I need new work shorts because my, the shorts became work shorts and now they were like, they're not comfortable anymore because yeah. the holes are just like in, <laughs> really uncomfortable. And like, yeah. Yeah, this is so cool to yeah. like, <laughs> like it's so exciting my husband's like uh like you don't understand no. wearing the same clothes forever yeah <laughs> yeah yeah exactly so oh lord i it's love fun. that i totally hadn't thought about yeah the significance of holes in your clothes yeah i'm so glad you raised i think a lot of people relate to that. i get to wear them out it's really right? cool. <laughs> I'm not like getting rid of them because they don't fit anymore. I'm getting rid of them because they just, they're worn out. Um, and I can't even donate them because no one wants to know. <laughs> so tell us a little bit more about intuitive eating. So I know this comes up quite a lot in my conversations with clients. I'm not an intuitive eating um, practitioner. I I think I, I think I practice it. I read the book and then I kind of just, yeah, for me, into, um, the principles of intuitive eating really helped me step away from diet culture. So I didn't actually work with anyone. So that's why I'm so excited to talk to you. But I, those principles of reconnecting with my body, like actually listening, because I used to, and I'm sure you've heard this before. It's funny. I was talking with someone else about this recently where, I was so disordered with my um, hunger cue. Um, I don't know, just even being connected to my hunger cues that whenever I felt hunger, I would start to, I practiced, I literally told myself, this is worth celebrating. This is great. Good job. Feel hunger. And so I essentially gaslit and brainwashed myself at the same time. I'm very brilliant, apparently, to be proud of feeling hunger. And like, that was the desired state at my most disordered. That is not uncommon. Yeah. 
Yeah. Well, because if you're hungry, then you're probably losing weight. Because if you're hungry, then you're calorie deficient. If you're hungry, and like there's this pride in sustaining the hunger. And I actually just, people send me podcasts regularly, people who are, uh, like we were talking about before we started recording, you know, the people we have to convince, right? And it's just, so um, there's some people in my life who are uh, not opposed to what I do, but question it now. And anyways, now and again, I get a podcast and somebody of like, can you listen to this guy? What do you think of what he has to say? And yeah. This, this one line and there's one pause. He's like, hunger is really just a mental state. Anyways, I was like, Fuck oh off. my God. No <laughs> a mental state. No, right. it's, it's biological. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So many hormones, so many tripwires to make sure that we don't starve. Our bodies are like really good at making sure that does not happen. It's the thing they're designed for to keep us going. I mean, oh, so, oh my gosh. So tell us a bit about intuitive eating. Um, I, it was a huge role in your life. And then you decided to really get certified it and bring it into your client work. So yeah, tell us the, what what is it really? I mean, on the very most basic level, it's the like eat what you want when you want. And then the nuance to that is, you know, because of course there's always nuance. And this is where I get so frustrated. I guess social media and media in general tries to make it so like right? So it's either people are describing intuitive eating as the like permission to binge diet, or they're talking about it as the like, you're only allowed to eat when you're hungry diet. Like it's neither of those. Yeah. (laughs) And both of those. (laughs) So it's, it's about taking time to learn what it is that your body likes. What is it asking for? When is it asking for it? How much of it? So it's questions like, what would satisfy right now? How much would satisfy right now? Um, for me, I, I still require a certain amount of structure around my eating in that I need to eat regularly because left to my own devices, like I'm still really not great at identifying and addressing subtle hunger. Um, I'm, I'm better than I used to be, but that pride of starvation, uh, that pride of hunger, um, that, that caveman hunger leads major to binging. Right. Um, so it was a massive contributor to binge eating for me. Um, and I don't binge anymore, but I can still definitely tell the days, you know, when I'm like at night sort of, I don't know, just eating more of the convenience foods than I normally eat. And I'm like, what? Oh, right. I didn't have my morning snack because I was doing the whatever thing. So I still have a bit of a structure to how I eat. And a lot of people still require that structure. Yeah, I get that. It, you know, for me, I call those, those like I'm having a hungry day. And I try to figure, yeah, and I find for me, there's a real link to busyness and stress is like mine are, I think, more emotional rather than I hadn't eaten um, because I'm pretty good about eating. But yeah. And the other thing, it's very interesting. The other thing that I notice now that my my partner does most of the grocery shopping and he's very much a shop at point of need. So every week our fridge will become very empty. And, oh, I've had to do so much work since living together with him for about three years now. The first year was so hard for me. I would get all of the stress binge feelings would rise up and like flood me. And I'd be like, 
stressed about the lack of food because, and that would, it was weird. It would, it would be the feelings of wanting to trigger a binge because there was emptiness. And I, I, it, it, it's just so interesting. And I've had to really like sit with that. And I still, so sometimes like the other day, dinner wasn't ready. I had to teach the kids were here. It was just kind of chaos at the house. I had 20 minutes. I needed to eat before I taught for three hours till 10 PM. So I actually was like, all right, and, and I've learned to take care of myself in those moments where I'll say, all right, I'm going to run out and I'm grabbing food because I can't go into this class hungry. So I went out, grabbed a sub, came back, ate it, and I was fine. But it's taken me like three years because before that I lived on my own. I just did it all myself. I never, but it's, but I hate grocery shopping. So I love that he does it. But now I have to like struggle with this other piece. It's amazing how close we still are to that edge. Well, I mean, it's there. like there's big T traumas and little T traumas, right? And that's one of those little T traumas of, and like for some people, those are big T traumas, right? Like there are people that food scarcity is like, it's for real. It's their day-to-day stuff. And sometimes food scarcity isn't because of lack of accessibility or lack of funds. It's just somebody didn't go grocery shopping, right? Um, sometimes our food scarcity is self-imposed, aka diet and wellness culture of like, we're just going to restrict these four food groups, um, you know, <laughs> we're going to whatever. Um, so again, there's an abundance of food, but not really an abundance. Um, and that can trigger all of that where our bodies are like, oh shit, it's happening again. Um, and that can lead to rebound eating easily yeah yeah so that's and and again those are the you know i'm working with like as i work with my patients through a variety of different things these are some of the things i warn them about right like if someone's going through a major gastrointestinal issue and they're not able to eat and that sometimes i'm like rebound eating is likely going to occur so just don't freak out right like it's there's going to be an increase so like one of the stories i for a long time i still don't tolerate eggs particularly well but i love eggs so much so i don't eat them very often um and uh pre-covid i was eating them fairly regularly it was like somehow that i was good and i was like this is amazing i ate eggs all the time i had a like i made quiche i made frittatas i made like (laughs) boiled eggs 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 everywhere eggs um and it was a rebound eating of eggs you know and most recently because my son last summer was like mom i seem to be able to eat wheat i'm like that's awesome (laughs) so uh he because he'd been eating gluten-free stuff for most of his life but i've always encouraged him i'm like just listen to your body paid like this is probably not a forever thing. It might be a forever thing, but you decide. And so he was eating more wheat and he wasn't having any consequences. And um, all he, he wanted donuts. So like we ate donuts every weekend. We found a market near us up here in Aurelia. And um, we, we were there every Saturday morning before we went grocery shopping. Like he would get out of bed to come grocery shopping so that we could go and eat donuts um because they're like they're the size of his face like these yeah. massive donuts that he could never eat a whole one in one sitting but he gave it his best every time and i was just a, a memory popped up on my phone of last summer doing this and i was like when was the last time we were there like it it just naturally petered out right like it was really exciting and now it's not 
Yeah. Well, and that, I feel like that brings up something that's so interesting. And I imagine a real part of intuitive eating is this whole piece around trusting our bodies. I feel like we've been raised to not trust our bodies, especially if you've been dieting. You're like, don't trust your body's cues. You're, you feel hungry, but don't eat. Like, so is that, yeah. How does intuitive eating tie in that way? I would say wholeheartedly that is the, like, the whole purpose is to establish trust with your body. Um, and, and so for some people that's like, okay, there's no rules and they just like with my son, we just didn't put restrictions and he would, he did what he wanted to do. And, and now I can't remember the last time he asked for a donut, but that was a big thing for a while there. Right. Um, for other people, it needs to be a little bit more systematic, right? Because for them, like, for instance, if we go back to my initial introduction to all of this, um, and I would sit down and eat cookies for dinner because there was no rules, but I I didn't understand principle two, which is honor your hunger. And honor your hunger is, yes, it's about listening for your hunger cues, is also about nourishing your body in the absence of hunger because we need to eat food regularly. Like it just, it's, it's part of human nature, uh, which I know all the intermittent fasting people are like, you don't need to eat. I'm like, yeah, you, (laughs) (laughs) especially if you have any kind of like mental health stuff, like anxiety, stress, um, any of that stuff, especially because intermittent fasting is bad for that. Terrible because like our brains require glucose. And if you're not eating all day, it's going to heighten that stress response and make anxiety worse and all of the things. Um, and if you have a history of binge eating, the worst thing you can do is is not eat for huge extended periods of time. <laughs> I definitely did some intermittent fasting uh, when I was, and uh, yeah, it was horrible. It did, I, it, all it did was trigger binge after binge after binge. I was like, oh, this does not work for me at all. Thankfully, you were able to acknowledge like this does not work for me. I was speaking to a class, uh, high school. So they were, I don't know, 16, 17 year old girls. And one of them, their naturopath, put them on intermittent fasting. And, um, and, and this poor girl was like, I don't know how to like keep going because I'm hungry. And I'm like, then you need to eat like this isn't the right program for you if your body is saying this is not but again it's that like I'm going to trust this in air quotes expert instead of my own experience and ultimately that is what we need to dismantle right (laughs) um, and the goal of intuitive eating so the last principle is gentle nutrition and that means yeah I am going to mess around with my diet I'm going to try different things I'm going to prioritize nutrition but never at the expense of my own inherent knowledge or my my satisfaction of what it is that I'm doing right like those are primary yeah, I'm always going to prioritize satisfaction over nutrition. So like that poutine, like, I don't know if you can make a poutine that's got broccoli and I'll try it. If it's tasty, <laughs> I'll eat it. But if it's gross, I'm not, I'm right. You know, it's yeah. Yeah. Oh, so interesting. Um, I wanted to ask about the work that you do now that seems like it straddles being a naturopathic doctor, or maybe that's not the right word, but you're integrating the principles of weight neutral care with naturopath, being a naturopathic doctor, which is, as you've indicated, kind of steeped in diet culture. I'm so curious about that tension because every time 
I go to the doctor and I've, I've had to go to a number of doctors recently for endometriosis and just kind of working through a whole bunch of stuff. And every single time I'm trying to say, no, you like, you know, things like, no, you don't need to weigh me. And they look shocked. No, that's not the right blood pressure cuff for my arm. I've measured my arm. It is 18 inches. That cuff goes to 13. Why do you think this will work? You know, like, and it's just exhausting. And um, so you're in, you're kind of, you've got both hats happening. How, how, how do you do that? How does it work? What are you, what are you I think it's wonderful. Um, and I can imagine there's a challenge there as well. For sure. I mean, the, the weight neutral side of things was relatively easy to adopt in just that. And, and weight neutral care is just about understanding that there are so many interventions that do not require you getting on and off the scale, right? Like there are so many interventions for diabetes, for PCOS, for like fatty liver disease, for like all of these things that do not stem or, or hang upon whether or not your weight changes. Yes. I almost want you to say that again, because do you like, honestly, this is something that we so many people I talk to don't know because the first thing is if you're in a larger body, it's well, you have to lose weight. So I just want to underscore what you just said. Okay, continue. <laughs> <laughs> For everybody listening, this is true. <laughs> well, and the, that's just it, right? Like, especially when you are recovering from disordered eating or an eating disorder outright, and like. I'm, I'm pulling that population because they are the most at risk, but everybody deserves a weight neutral approach. But so for instance, I was referring a, a, a patient to another doctor um, because this other naturopath was just more skilled in one particular um, condition than me. And, and I said, there's no talk about food or like, no, you don't tell her to eat more of this or eat less of that or like none of that. And, and this other doctor said, you know, but like, but this particular diet is like, here's the research. And I, and I said, and how healthy is it if it brings back all of those disordered eating um, thoughts and behaviors? That is not healthy. It's not healthy. So we're not going to do that. Right. And, and that's, that's the thing. It's, it's really looking at the patient in front of you. And like, there are some people, like I do food interventions with people, but they're not my first thing because they need to understand their relationship with food and their relationship with their body and their relationship with their inner critic before we can go anywhere near that topic. Right. Like if somebody has zero self-compassion, they, they can turn anything into a diet and an opportunity to be cruel to themselves. So we're not going to do that. Right. So, you know, and, and that's true for, you know, like people are like, well, everybody should just exercise. Well, no, mm -hmm. well, there are people who have very traumatic stories of their childhood experience with fitness. No, 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 we're not going to go there for some people. So maybe it is absolutely amazing at helping to regulate blood sugars, but again, if it's going to create this absolutely toxic environment within their head, no, that's not a healthy intervention. Let's pick something else. 
so it's really about like knowing who's in front of you and and it doesn't mean that you never get there i mean sometimes you never get there but we can do other things well we heal the relationship with the food and with the body while we start practicing the intuitive eating principles while we start to do like I did um the body image certification program with Summer Einanen yes yes and and so like there's all those kinds of tools right of like being in your body and again like varying degrees of that is going to feel good and not for others I mean abuse victims you probably don't want them to be in their body <laughs> like um until they have the appropriate support right so it's really individualized care yeah I, so i'm just sitting here thinking oh my god could you imagine and, and you're in Canada where I am too um if our healthcare well not just ours probably all healthcare systems had this level of individualized care. I don't feel like I ever get that. I've had doctors say to me, make comments about my weight and saying things as calories in, calories out without asking me, so what do you eat? That was my gynecological, that was my gyne that I went and saw. And then my family doctor was like, again, she knew nothing about me. She had met me for five minutes and she said, well, you know, Sophia, it's just about mental discipline. And I'm like, you know nothing about me. I could be the most mentally disciplined person in the world. You have no idea even asking me a question. You just made an assumption. So like this idea of actually getting to know the patient, Carrie, I mean, it, I'm deeply sad that that is revolutionary. I know, I know. And I mean, part of it is like, it's just the way our system has evolved, right? Like I am not part of the OHIP system, which comes with its own set. So like you have to have a certain set of privileges to be able to be working with me, right? And that that privilege allows me to like, I spend an hour and a half with people on their first appointment. Like my appointments are typically 45 minutes to an hour long of a follow-up. So like we're, we're having real conversations about your life. I remember um, one of my colleagues um, just saying, you know, your appointments don't need to be that long, you know? And I'm like, no, I need to have the conversation with my patient about what's going on in their life. Cause that's where I learn these things. Yeah. It's when they're telling me about stuff that's not medically necessary to know that I learn that, you know, like uh, even just, again, this is the weight stigma stuff that shows up in the office of like telling like, you really need to start an exercise program. Did you ask if I exercise? No. Because here's what I do on a daily basis, right? But, you know, having a fat body is evidence that it's still not enough, right? And I mean, I have fat body patients who, like, exercise too extreme and need to stop exercising so much. But, yeah, it's it's just such a, it's such a messed up system. Yeah, yeah. 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 And like when you and I met, I was, I was really looking towards doing coaching because I was disillusioned with my profession. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm like, I don't want to be an naturopath. I don't want to be part of that. We just keep taking food away from people. We've been scared to eat everything and I don't want to do that anymore. And then I, I was some of the people that I had started following in this space um, would have like a health scare and then they would turn back to diet culture and they would try and do it with this like body positive lens. But it was like, you're still like, yeah. Oh. I was like, they need a me. <laughs> they need 
they need someone who can guide them with sound advice, medical advice, without adding in the, and you need to lose weight, right? Um, and, and that's just fundamentally what it is, right? And if they lose weight, like I have patients that have lost weight, I don't give them shit for it. Like it's your body is going to do what your body is going to do. And we're just going to let that part take care of itself. And we're going to focus on what you actually have control over. Right. Yeah. You don't give them shit and you probably also don't congratulate them either. Like it's not the goal. No. And, and I always tell them, I'm like, just because this weight loss happened without you intentionally losing it, we don't have any, again, statistics to say that this is going to stay off. So this might be just as temporary as any other one. So just like your body is, has changed full stop. It's not better, but that's really hard to internalize in a world that like it is better in a smaller body. You have more access to things. You get social acceptance. You get praise. You get, you know, admittance to things that you can't get into <laughs> if you're in a larger body. There is a huge amount. Like our world is built for smaller bodies and it does not accommodate larger bodies. And basically the world says, well, if you want access to this, just lose weight. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yep. It's true. And it's horrible. And it's why I started this podcast (laughs) to just be like, nope, that doesn't get to be okay. That doesn't get to be the only way. And yeah. Yeah. Um, Carrie, I'm really curious about how you stay connected to joy, especially Mm. given the work that you do, like you just said, the world that we live in, the harms that you probably hear and see, both from your patients as well as within your own self, your own family and friends. So how, yeah, how do you keep orienting towards joy? I give my dog a lot of credit. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Yay, puppy. I, yesterday I was finishing with patients and I turned around and he was lying right here in the door between them. He had his head back and so his jowls were down and his feet were straight in the air and I just burst out laughing. Yes. <laughs> so I, I say regularly, I'm like, everybody needs a moose. Yes. Oh. <laughs> um, and when he is not the source, um, like I nature and water and like I'm I'm an outdoor person and that connects me to that just inner sense of playfulness and fun um and I choose my friends wisely yes oh that's a good one I had a recent a recent experience um with some potentially new friends that didn't make the cut because they uh (laughs) Mm-hmm. I was like wanting to get in there with the kids and play and have some fun and, and they were not interested. And I was like, yeah, no, sorry. You're off the list. <laughs> <laughs> my, uh, my friends are in there with me and uh, they're ready to play and have some fun. And I, I can get very serious. So I know I need the play to, to keep things going. Um, yeah. So, and music would be the other thing. I have lots of different playlists that, I find music can change my mood so quickly. Well, considering Lizzo just won an Emmy last night. I know. And her speech was amazing. Wasn't it? She did so well. Speaking of fat women who are changing the narrative, you know? Yeah. It's, um, I don't know. I mean, the, this movement isn't new. 
you know? No, it's not. Uh, a friend I met uh, from Australia, her and her mom wrote a book, like, I don't know how many years ago, way more than 20 years ago, um, about, you know, ditching diets and this concept of intuitive eating. It wasn't called that. Um, but it, I feel like now it finally, we have enough momentum that we can connect we like we're not going anywhere and that feels really good and i i get that we're not the mainstream and i don't know if we ever will be i don't i honestly i don't know if my lifetime will see us overcome this level of fat phobia um but i know that now there are safe places and that is amazing and i'm so happy to be part of it right and you get to help create them for others which is such a gift for them Carrie thank you um thank you for this conversation I am so glad to have spent this time with you and learned from you thank you for having me anytime I love talking about this stuff so good (laughs) (laughs) thanks Carrie Before we go, I'd like to read a poem because poetry can reach our hearts in a different way. Poems can have us feel in a different way. And that's what this podcast is about, expanding our hearts, deepening our empathy, and inviting in joy. So each week, you get a new poem. Today's poem is called Beachbody, and it's by Kate Bear. I love the listing of all the different types of bodies in this poem. It's like, they're all allowed, they're all welcome. And talking with Carrie Fullerton is like that. All bodies are allowed, all bodies are welcome. So here's the poem. Mountain body, I don't want your cropped body. Give me all the hot body, soft body, curve and dimple big body. Love to see a strong body, loose body, other kind of built body. Want to hear your loud body, lover in the night body. This is not your mother's body. And even if it was, look at how she moves. Thank you for joining me today. My hope is that you're feeling a little less alone and a little more seen. So until the next episode, you can find me on Instagram at fatjoy.life, on the website at www.fatjoy.life, and on Patreon at patreon.com slash fatjoy. Please don't forget to check out the show notes for how you can connect with my amazing guest and for the links to the poem. All right, lovely. I am sending you off with my wishes for an abundantly fat joy day. Talk again soon. Bye.